Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on symptom management. So today we're going to focus on anxiety screening. So this is going to be a little bit different than um, some of our other communications uh, sessions because in, um, in the past we've really focused in on the skills, the uh, different communication skills that we learned, um, like the nurse mnemonic and tell me more. We'd still like you to use those skills today, but we're going to apply them towards doing some anxiety disorder screening. So the goal today um, with our uh, simulated patient is to identify what type of anxiety disorder she might have and then talk with her about some different treatment options that she might have um, for that disorder. Last week we talked about um, both non-pharmacologic and pharmacologic like treatment options for the different anxiety disorders. That has been a week ago, and I'm sure that <laughs> a lot has transpired between last week and this week, so um, we're going to start out just by doing some review of the different disorders and what some of the uh, common treatment for those disorders are. Um, so starting out with um, generalized anxiety disorder, um, what's the cardinal feature of generalized anxiety? Yeah, excessive worry, and what other um, symptoms uh, does a person have who has generalized anxiety? Muscle tension, restlessness, irritability, fatigue, one more, and poor concentration. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, so all of those things, and then, um, so they have excessive worry, which means they really have a hard time stopping themselves from worry. And um, if you remember, they're worried about more than uh, just one thing. So they're usually worried about a smorgasbord of, of different things. Um, you don't have to jot down all of these symptoms. I'll give you a handout that you can refer to. So um, what about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder? What are some of the symptoms or problems you would see with a person with PTSD? I think we talked about four different um, types or areas of symptoms. So re-experiencing symptoms like nightmares and flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, re-experiencing. Mm-hmm. What's another kind of cardinal feature? I think I talked about this uh, related to a lot of veterans I saw from the um, post, uh, post-Vietnam and what um, had often been recommended to them at the time. has to do with like putting it on a shelf or putting it away. So like avoidance um, is another feature. So uh, they were often told to just just don't think about it, just ignore it. Um, and so that um, perpetuates the disorder. Um, there's two other areas um, 
uh, types of symptoms that they can experience. Yeah, great. So mood and uh, cognitive changes. So um, with mood, maybe more irritability and uh, sadness. And then with um, the hyperarousal, you might see some difficulties um, sleeping and then the increased startle response and jumpiness. Um, that's also where you might see um, angry outbursts and difficulties with concentration. So there's some overlap then with anxiety, generalized anxiety. With the avoidance too, they might avoid um, talking about events, but they might also avoid people, places, and things that remind them of those events. Um, next we talked about uh, panic disorder. So what are some of the symptoms of panic disorder? What are some of the most common um, expressions of, of panic? Yeah, so uh, racing heart, palpitations, uh, feeling like there's an elephant sitting on their chest so they just can't uh, catch their breath um, when they're trying to breathe. Um, what else might you see with someone's who, someone who's having a panic attack? one can um, be a little bit more difficult to distinguish um, when somebody has neuropathy. They'll say, well, since I already have that going on, it's hard to know <laughs> if I have that related to my panic attacks or not. Um, some of the other symptoms they might have are uh, sweating, uh, choking feeling, so feeling like they can't um, swallow. Uh, chest pain or discomfort, so a lot of times they come into the emergency department afraid that they're having a heart attack because of their symptoms. Um, they might fe feel dizzy or like they're going to faint, um, feel unreal or detached from things, so feel like they're just kind of outside of their body, having an uh, experience of just observing themselves. Um, afraid that they're going crazy or losing control, afraid that they might die, and then sometimes hot flashes or chills are part of it. Um, what about the treatment for panic disorder? What do you remember about treating that from a non-pharmacologic uh, perspective? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... Put them through whatever they Exposure yeah, absolutely. So the most important thing about that treatment is helping them to understand um, that there's this panic cycle and that the symptoms aren't really harmful to them. So with that disorder in particular, like having medications on board that they take to kind of alleviate the symptoms can kind of uh, perpetuate or maintain the disorder. Um, <clears throat> What about treatment for generalized anxiety disorder? Like, so going back, so the worry disorder, how do we approach that? Yeah, SSRI and then a uh, CBT. So within the cognitive behavioral therapy, what are some of the things that you might help them to do? 
come up with a list of things that they want to worry about earlier in the day, spend that up all night, so they can think about three things earlier. Yeah, and that's called constructive worry. So we want them to, if they're going to worry, um, do it in a problem-solving kind of way and move back the time that they're worrying and uh, trying to solve problems. Um, what else? So say the person has a lot of muscle tension. What else could would you be teaching them or have someone teach them? Relaxation strategies? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we would uh, teach them diaphragmatic breathing and especially progressive muscle relaxation to try to relieve that uh, muscle tension. Um, yeah, and then you might also use some exposure, so they might be avoiding things as part of the disorder, um, things that they're worried about or afraid of approaching. So um, you could use some, okay, let's let's try this out from a behavioral perspective, see how it goes, come back and report to me. Um, and then post-traumatic stress disorder, what's the treatment for PTSD that we talked about? There's a, a couple different ones I think we covered. Trauma-focused CBT? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's um, two um, primary trauma-focused CBTs, and one's called cognitive processing therapy, and the other's prolonged exposure therapy. Um, do you remember anything about prolonged exposure therapy? Yeah, so that's the one where they're um, writing about the trauma and then they're repeating that to themselves over and over. And the goal of that is habituation so that um, they no longer have the same kind of emotional response um, as they do like uh, when they're avoiding um, talking about it. CPT, do you remember any of the areas? So that's more focused on how a person is thinking and how they were impacted by the trauma. Um, and CPT, um, I think there's five basic areas that, of thinking that um, is impacted through trauma. So um, if you think about, let's say, for example, a person has experienced rape as a trauma, um, what types of areas might be impacted by that trauma? Relationships? Yeah, so relationships, trust is one of those areas that can be impacted. What about uh, feelings about their selves? Um, yeah, so self-esteem is another area. Um, what might the person do then to um, kind of try to reestablish their uh, sense of, uh, I guess, the other is, what's up? No, I told you reestablish self-worth or something. I don't know mm -hmm. Yeah, so self-esteem, uh, safety issues are often impacted, so they might feel less safe in social situations. Um, power and control is another area, so um, they might feel like in any situation they need to have uh, more control or a sense of power over that uh, situation, so that can get them into a lot of trouble. And then um, the fifth area, do you remember what the fifth area is? So 
Safety, power and control, self-esteem, trust. I'm thinking it may be intimacy, so also related to relationships, being able to be close to other people um, is also impacted. Um, What about phobia? What is a phobia? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's an in-the-moment kind of fear of, of something happening. And what are some things people can have phobias of? Spiders. <laughs> <laughs> yep, spiders is a big one. Spiders, you... Uh-huh. Yes, elevators was the example. Um, they can have social phobia. Spiders is a difficult one to diagnose um, because unless the person is working in, like, say, a lab with spiders, it's not going to probably impact their daily life. If they're avoiding going into the bathroom ever again because they saw a spider in it, then that would <laughs> they might qualify for a diagnosis. But a lot of people are afraid of like spiders and snakes, but it doesn't create any impact on their daily life. So, um, yeah, elevators in the hospital setting. What are a couple other common needles. ones? There? Yeah, needles. People are really afraid of needles. Yeah, and then um, having claustrophobia. Um, so that they're afraid of being in an MRI machine would be another. Anybody remember what the treatment is for phobia? Oh, that was mm-hmm. Yeah, working with them on a hierarchy of things that they might be afraid of, starting with something that's way far from what they're trying to do and then working their way um, into that situation. And then... Um, we talked a little bit about uh, fear of recurrence. Um, do you remember anything about how you might address that with patients? I remember like you give them things to like think about the night before instead of mm-hmm. things to sort of preoccupy themselves, mm-hmm. whether it's to read or watch TV or listen to music. I'm not sure if I'm that right. Mm-hmm. Then I remember asking if we need to use medication, mm-hmm. like close to the appointment, just to keep them calm and relaxed the night before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in really uh, severe cases, you might do that. Um, yeah, but having them use distraction or pleasant activities like the, the week before can be helpful. Um, and then akathisia. What is akathisia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a terrible sensation. I feel like they just have to be up, like pacing, walking around, shaking off the energy. And um, what's it usually caused by? They might have symptoms of anxiety. It looks a lot like anxiety. But what um, what actually initiates the that response where they're pacing and if I remember certain medications mm-hmm. so, um, and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, antipsychotics uh, can, some antidepressants, and then um, most commonly would be antiemetics, so like anti-nausea medications like uh, Compazine and Phenergan, uh, Reglan. Usually Compazine and Reglan are the culprits in most cases I, I've seen. And what's the treatment then? How would you? Removing the offending medication. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So Tommy said removing the offending medication, and that usually works pretty much right away. Within a couple of days, the person's back to normal, and they're very grateful <laughs> for you having identified that. Um, one of the distinguishing features to know if it's akathisia or anxiety is that the person isn't really worried about anything. There's not like kind of a phobia going on, or they say, I don't know why I'm feeling this way, because <laughs> there's nothing that's causing it. So any questions about the different disorders, or? Usually those first two questions will get you most of the information that you need or to kind of guide you in a certain direction. So if you ask those two questions and it doesn't seem like, oh, that doesn't fit, then you might go on to the next kind of screening questions for this exercise. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends so you don't miss any of our new content make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.